Bricklayers and bums. Descend from Marleybone Station. Bring your mysteries to 221B. And make sure to empty your safety deposit box before Saturday evening. Because it's time to talk tall to me. Hmm. The game's afoot. You, you get that reference? That's a Sherlock reference, yeah. Yeah, Sherlock Holmes. Sherlock Mahomey. <laughs> Welcome back, everyone. I am Omen Said. And I am Nick McGill. Together, we are Feckless Momes. And this is Talk Tall to Me. A late-night gutterball in the bustle of prog rock's trendiest neighborhood. Album by album, song by song, Nick and I will make our way through the flute filth and the guitar grit, trying to find a trace of the footsteps of Jethro Tull. We will stop off at the Sherlock Holmes Museum, get our lunch at the KFC, and ultimately (laughs) pass out in Regent's Park, only to be told off by a gruff policeman named Ian Anderson. Did you just, like, Google Maps what was around that location and saw KFC? I sure did. (laughs) Okay. I know you by now. (laughs) And that's fine. It's totally fine. (laughs) Yeah, very good deductive reasoning. Ah, yep. In in true form. There it is. (laughs) <laughs> so, Nick, we have a we have a big old episode we today. We have a beefcake for sure. But first, I think it's probably time mm. to play a quick round of, of what are, are you drinking? drinking? Omen, Nick. What are you drinking? Nick, tonight I am drinking a pint of Angry Orchard Crisp Apple Hard Cider. Oh, I didn't know you were a cider guy. You know, it's mostly for my wife, the cider. Mm-hmm. We usually keep it on hand. But what happens is that, you know, if, if, I, if I get a six-pack of beer and a six-pack of cider, I drink up all the beer very quickly. And <laughs> my wife... And then there's cider left over. ...doesn't drink that much. And so there's usually <laughs> cider left over. And that's where I am tonight. And therefore, you are consuming it. But I actually really enjoy cider. I, I drank a lot of cider when I was in England. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Did you ever drink any Perry? Any what? Perry. It's the I think it's, it's the pronounced pear equivalent. Perrier, Nick. Oh, I've, how embarrassing! <laughs> Perry. It's the pear equivalent of of cider. I think I've had a pear cider in my life. Yeah. I don't like. I'm not a big pear fan, though. Ah, uh, that's yeah. Shameful. No one's perfect. Nick, what are you drinking tonight? I have made myself a little cocktail, actually, this evening. Really? Yep. Yep. Of of my own own divine invention invention of divination. Uh I've drank too much. It's it's apparently very strong. (laughs) It is a healthy dose of carbonated water. Yes. Followed by Soda Press Company's Organic Tonic Spirit Classic Indian Tonic, which is okay. has uplifting botanicals and citruses blended with a bite of natural quinine sourced from the fever tree. <laughs> Great. On top of that, some healthy dashes of Angostura orange bitters. Mm, love it. And then finally, some Hendrix Midsummer Solstice Limited Release Gin. Wow. Mm-hmm. Infused with natural flavors and floral essence, 
in celebration of the eternal mysteries of the midsummer solstice. Incredible, Nick. That sounds delicious. It's very delightful. The 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 citrus and the floral work mm, so well together. You know, you mentioned quinine from the fever tree. A little mm-hmm. fun fact about that, Nick. Would you like to know a fun fact? I would love nothing more than a fun fact. Quinine was found in club soda, and the reason is it is an anti-malarial. Yes. And it is the that ingredient is why gins and tonic became so popular among the denizens of the British Empire because it was Mm anti-malarial. Yeah, and tonic tonic water is just club soda with quinine in it. Right. Yeah. Right, right, right. Well, now that that's out of the way, Nick, do we have any other business to attend to before we jump into this week's episode? Other than some notes on the song itself, I've got nothing. I think that we should just leap head first into it then. Okay. So, Nick. Omen. What do we have the the delicious pleasure of listening to this week? It is a biggin. It mm-hmm. is a good, let's see. It's a good 16 minutes and 39 seconds. Is it really? It is Baker Street Muse, which is actually a collection of four separate songs or four separate okay. segments, I suppose. Sure. Pygmy and the Whore, nice little tune. Crash Barrier Waltzer, and Mother England Reverie. Oh boy. Well. And just for clarification, Pig Me and the Whore, it's Pig, P-I-G dash me. So this song is very exciting and let's, <laughs> let's have a listen to it. Yes. Strap in, kids. Yeah. Bring a packet of peanuts because you might need it halfway through. Yeah. Peanuts and beer. Take your salt and your, your hydration. Exactly. So, here we are, Baker Street Muse. Let's do this. Well, Nick. Mercy me. Let me go have a quick shave and a shower after listening to that because I have I have grown a full beard during the course of listening to that song. I need to, I need to consume some nutrient bars. I'm, yeah. I'm worn out. Yeah. That song whew, that that song I think really is I would describe it Nick as an oeuvre of a, a, a full oeuvre all in itself. Normally an oeuvre is like a body of work. It is a collection of of works. This was, this in and of itself, is a piece. This is, is a, a body. It's a piece which of work. Contains bodies. It's, it is a solar system. Yeah, it's a Russian doll of a song. It is a matryoshka. Yeah, <laughs> I told you never to call me that. I'm sorry. Not not in public anyway. Yeah, as you said, Nick. It's 16 minutes long. I mean, if we just want to start with the structure and get more specific from there. It's got, as you said, four segments, each of which are, they're all broken up from each other with instrumental breaks, Mm -hmm. and they're bookended with the sort of typical thing from this album, which is Ian talking to himself or perhaps to us alone in the studio. Right, to, to to the people that he is performing live. In his head. In, in in his head, yeah, but it, it maintains that minstrel, yeah, yeah. The minstrel's audience. 
so that's the basic layout of it. Mm-hmm. But then each section has its own personality, its own tune. Mm-hmm. The instrumentation remains similar throughout, although there are some changes as we go through. Yeah, it's a lot lighter to start. But it's not like it's four totally separate things. They all flow into each other really, really well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, it does make me wonder about the the writing process for this song, if it was four separate origin points all orbiting around the subject of Baker Street, or if it was, you know, his massive ode to Baker Street, which was which was so large that it had to be broken up into four sections. Right. Is is it just convenient that they all were in the same key and they flowed together? Or is that something right. that he like hammered together after the fact? It's a good question because why why is it separate songs if if because is it a they flow so well? Or is it an articulated carapace? It, we'll never know. Yeah. I think we will never know. So a little a little info about this song. Yes. At the time Anderson was renting a cottage known as a Muse, M-E-W-S, Muse oh. Cottage, just off of Baker Street in central London. Oh, mm-hmm. my goodness. What is a Muse Cottage? What, what defines a Muse Cottage? I've heard the word. A Muse, M-E-W-S, it's a British name for a row or courtyard of stables and carriage houses with right. living quarters above them. Built behind large city houses before motor vehicles replaced horses in the early 20th century. Mews are usually located in desirable residential areas, having been built to cater for the horses, coachmen, and stable servants of prosperous residents. The renovated servants' quarters provide attractive housing in the best locations with off-street parking in the carriage house and stable. Wow. So a pretty, a pretty swanky little apartment. Yes, but also a horse's garage. <laughs> a horse's gar- It's where the horse parks its car. <laughs> it's where the horse parks his Porsche. Mm-hmm. In London. One, plus one yeah. horsepower. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Nick, I, I looked up. So this song is full of misspellings and wordplay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Intentional misspellings and wordplay. Yeah. I looked up the definition of... Muse, M-U-S-E. Okay. And and was about to go on a whole tirade about why it why this song relates to one <laughs> definition as to another. And then I ruined it for you. And then you ruined it for me, like Nick, like you always do. But actually, I, I do think that I mean that's amazing, and that's that provides such incredible specificity of context to this. Right. I do think that there is something in the M-U-S-E muse. Oh, absolutely. I, I think it's it's entirely possible that it, that he heard the term Baker Street muse, M-E-W-S, and was like, oh, what if it was M-U-S-E, and then just went from there. Right, because English is full of... Homonyms. Oh, thank homophones, you. Homophones, actually, not homonyms. Homophones. <laughs> What's a homonym? Same meaning, different, different words? Spelled the same... Spelled the same sounds different, like read and read, I believe. I never spell anything the same way, Nick. <laughs> no, consistently, as long as I've known you. Mm, yes. So the word muse, of course, relates to the seven mythological Greek f- figures, mm-hmm. the daughters of Zeus and 
Menemuzin, who presided over the arts and sciences, or a person or personified force who is the source of inspiration for a creative artist. But it's interesting because Ian says he is the muse. Yeah. So that leads me to my second definition of muse. Go on. The verb. Oh, yeah. I didn't even think about that. From old French, muser, to meditate or to waste time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think uh, my inter- my first instinct was that, ah, he's he's verbifying himself. He says that I am the muser of Baker Street. Yes. Because so much of the song is him apparently wasting time walking around Baker Street, observing things yeah. and meditating upon them. Yeah, that is that is amazing. Uh, to be a muse is one who muses. Yeah. He amused himself by musing in his muse. Yep, it tracks. Yep, I, I, yep. Yeah. It took me a minute. I prove. Yeah, I like right. it. All right, that wraps up that seventeen-minute song. We took care of that. <laughs> uh, unfortunately, it does not. So, <laughs> so let's talk about let's talk about the musical aspects of this song, as as we usually do. Yep. We start, as we said, with this speaking straight into the mic. Beggar Street Muse, take one. <laughs> And then he does this incredible acoustic guitar riff. Yeah. And then and then he apparently messes up. Vegas Street Muse, take one. Shit, 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 take two. Which is so funny because you don't, there's no missed note as far as I can hear. I think that he forgot to do a cool thing that he wanted to do. Yeah, I mean, there there could be some some fakeness to it. It could be a matter of like he was he he just wasn't prepared for the next set of chords or something, and he knew it, so he stopped it. You know, he based on where he put his hands or whatever. You know, I don't know. Well, and and where he when he comes back with Vegas Street Muse take two, he does actually add another flourish mm, on top okay. of what he had normally what he had uh, first done. Okay. So then we we have his acoustic guitar playing, which I feel like gets better with every song oh gosh, on this album. So good! It it what a what a beautiful progression. It's just incredible, and the tune is so beautiful. But he's it's not just solo guitar for very long. At no, about very quickly, at about forty. This, the piano comes in first. Shady gentlemen fly piano sweeps in first, and then like five seconds later, that's when the strings come in. In the underpass, the blind man stands. Yes. And the piano is interestingly demure in this first section. Mm-hmm. Quite pulled back, doing not you know it's sparse. It's a little bit sparse. It's and it's also it's either straight piano or it's it's the organ set to piano or the synth set to piano. I think it is a straight up piano. It's really nice to hear. It's really beautiful yeah, to it hear. Is. It's 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 a nice change. We do hear organ later on. Yeah. In let's see the the pygmy to the whore part. Yes. But it's 
hearing just that nice, lovely piano, it really, it's a nice change because it's, at this point, it feels very, very rare to hear just straight piano. It's almost as if Ian is capitalizing on the incessant classical music playing that <laughs> John Evans doing that John Evans is doing. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's a good point. He's like, just shut up and go, go record this, please. Yeah. Yeah. That, that may be it. And, and then it, it stays pretty much with those instruments for a long while. Mm-hmm. That starter portion goes for about three and a half minutes. And it's all it's all just that. It's all that same kind of light acoustic fare, that that theme that he's singing about, which I don't know. Is it safe to say that in between the bookends of like the real life Ian portion mm. are bookends of you can say like a Baker Street Muse intro and a Baker Street Muse outro? Or would you say this is part of Pygmy to the Whore? Because Pygmy to the Whore doesn't technically in in the the song lineup like it's if it's those four songs this first part should be pygmy but he doesn't start singing pygmy until like three and a half minutes in i think this is baker street muse yeah yeah so it's baker street muse with some some sub chapters going on later in yeah huh and you know nick i am tempted to break our normal structure of this episode because normally we talk all the way through music and then we talk all the way through lyrics Mm -hmm. But because this is a 16-minute song f- comprised of at least four sections, yeah, I-, I almost feel like we need to just talk about the song as we as we please. Yeah. I think that makes the most sense. So, Nick, what are your impressions? What are the images that stand out for you in this first section? Oh, that is a good question. Talking about the, the Baker Street News part, right? Yeah, it it's clearly some sense of autobiographical. Mm. Particularly, what what really strikes out to me is well, first of all, it's in first person when we get to the chorus, the the with my Baker Street Muse, but also with cold flute hands. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. With cold flute hands. So, I mean, who else could that be? There's no tongue-in-cheek, there's no veil, there's nothing like... At this point, six albums in, six years later, we know who, who he's talking about. cold flute <laughs> we hands? We know who he's talking about. Oh, no, it's flute hands, <laughs> Oh, McGee. no, it's, it's chill, chill flutes, chilly flutes. Uh, <laughs> so so that, that part sticks out. I really like that. Uh, there's a lot of beautiful poetry here. Mm. And I, I, the, I never really paid attention too much to the chorus until now. Yes. But the chorus really sticks out to me here. Didn't make her with my Baker Street ruse. Couldn't shake her with my Baker Street bruise. Like to take her. I'm just a Baker Street muse. Didn't make her with my Baker Street ruse. Couldn't shake her with my Baker Street bruise. Was the her here? Mm. And and mm-hmm. like this is in some way it's it's multiple tactics to to 
to get some end result didn't make her I get that is make like make a mark like a con man makes a mark and that that confirms that with with my Baker Street ruse couldn't shake her with my Baker Street bruise that he tried to scare her. He tried to hit her to make her change her mind or do something. But then Interesting. like to take her. I'm just a Baker Street muse. I I, that, mm, I don't. My mind. That's interesting. I like I like the con man narrative of that chorus. I was thinking of more along romantic terms. Didn't make her as in didn't didn't make it with her. Make mm, the whoopee. Okay. The whoopee, right, right. With my ruse of, you know, showing off how cool I am. Okay. And and then couldn't shake her. Maybe once my interest waned, hers increased. Okay. You know, sort of ill-timed interests on both sides. I. It's interesting. Yeah, I, this is, this is one of those very opaque poetry. What are we getting at here? Yeah. There are some places that are clearer than others. Maybe we should go for the low-hanging fruit. Sure. And I wish that I wish that when we pinpointed those spots of clarity that they that we could maybe pull back and look at them all and see like, oh, maybe this is how it all fits in, but I'm still even looking at those points. I'm still struggling a little bit. But let's what, let's try. Yeah, it. what let's, do you got? Let's do some pointillism. Yes. Let's let's point it out. Ale spew puddle brew, boys, throw it up clean. Ale spew puddle brew, boys, throw it up clean. Well, that's very clear. Yeah. Young young men who drink so much that when they vomit, there's no food in it at all. Throw it up clean, meaning like get it all out. Like get get out the poisons, boys. Oh, oh! I, I think it means throw it up clean, meaning there's it's just liquid because they haven't eaten oh. anything. They've just been drinking. Coke and Bacardi keeps them green, colors them green while they're so sick yep. because they've mm-hmm. drunk too much. Yep. From the typing pool goes the mini-skirted princess with great finesse. Coke and Bacardi colors them green. From the typing pool goes the mini-skirted princess with great finesse. So here, Nick... I I wrote down this little section here, uh, a feeling of Don Quixote. Oh. Our Spanish hero of Cervantes, of course, roams the countryside and sees these totally banal things and makes them into marvels. Okay. He makes a windmill a giant. He makes the lady at the inn uh, a duchess. And... So he's seeing a, a secretary from the typing pool, and he's making her into a princess. Okay. Fertile Earth Mother, your burial mound is 50 feet down in the Baker Street underground. Fertile Earth Mother, your burial mound is 50 feet down in the Baker Street underground. So there, again, he's maybe it's the same woman, maybe it's another but it's not just a woman going from work at Baker Street. It's a mythological agricultural goddess who's descending into the bowels of the subway to her sacred burial mound. You know what I mean? Oh, okay. I don't know why I didn't why underground didn't register for me for like under like the underground the the train. Oh yeah, the tube. Yeah. Okay. 
Earth Mother, your burial mound. Or it could just be anyone. May okay, okay. Yeah, I, I'm seeing it here now. I'm see. I think didn't we see another? We saw another song at some point where he, he just kind of expounded on things that he saw and and kind of and tweaked them and played with them and and. And well, there's Mother Goose. Was it? It was Mother Goose, wasn't it? Yeah. I mean, that's a that's a more specific example, but this is. I think this is, you know, that was seeing everything through the lens of nursery rhymes and old stories, mm-hmm. and this is a little bit more freeform. Mm-hmm. Okay. There are also some things that that repeat. Cold flute hands. Yep. With cold flute hands. Cold print hands. Right. With cold print hands. And symphony match seller. Symphony match seller. Symphony word player. Yeah. Symphony word player. I don't know. It's just interesting that we have these these sort of repeating things of cold hands and symphonies. Cold hands and symphonies. Yeah. There's another bit right at the beginning. In the underpass, the blind man stands with cold flute hands. That's almost as if he's saying that he's the blind man. Right. Is he blind to reality? Because I, because mm. uh, because he's fantasizing so much? Because he's he's being struck by a muse all the time? You know? I think there's something to that. I I really do. I think that I think you're absolutely on the right track. I mean. There, there are lots of figures in mythology who are blind mm-hmm. and therefore can see the reality of things. Right, right. Or it makes me almost think of Odin, who sacrificed his eye to be able to see more perfectly. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah, I mean, it's just more of that, more of that gosh darn veiled poeticism, really. Yeah. And and all toward the the impression of seeing the meaning of things beyond what the reality, quote unquote, is. Just for context, I think that at the time Baker Street was up and coming, fashionable, and had a lot of you know very hip, and was had a lot of bars to drink at. Now it's mostly chain stores. There's a, there's like two or three Starbucks. There's a Dunkin' Donuts. It's it's all you know. It's just totally commercialized and and corporatized, gentrified. Would you go so far as to yeah. say gentrified? Yeah, it's late-stage capitalism gentrified. Yeah, right, yeah. But I think at the time, it was really bustling and, and really, really vibrant with people working and partying and, and, and being homeless and having a lot of money. I think there were a lot of contrasts. And there was flavor to the life. Yes. You know, there was variety and, and people were living for the sake of living as, li- living for the joy of living, rather, as opposed to just living for the the sake of capitalism could be yeah and eating a lot of curry and eating yeah where's where's the line indian restaurants that curry my brain indian restaurants that curry my brain yes and we we know we know it is a well documented fact that ian loves a good spicy curry he has a website about it doesn't he, he does he does he has a i think it's under the jethro tall Right. He has a blog yeah. about it. But there's also a quote. Let's see. He in when he talks about the song Grace, he talks about Indian food as well, which we'll obviously oh, really? get to when That's we get fun. to that episode. But yeah. 
Well, Nick, I think we should move on to the next section. Yeah. I, I have a, a little bit of a, a theory here. Okay, let's do it. Okay, so now this is the definitely the pygmy and the whore. Okay. Big bottled Fraulein, put your weight on me. What's the tune here? How does it go? Big bottled Fraulein, put your weight on me, said the pygmy to the whore. Desperate yeah. for more. Yeah. Big bottle Fraulein, put your weight on me, said the pygmy to the whore. Desperate for more. There's a salt upon the mind. So, all right, we have an image of apparently a whore and a pig dash me. Yeah. Of course, wordplay with pygmy, the tribe of short statured people from Indonesia. I think. Mm, yeah, I think so. That sounds right. One of those, they're one of those like island, island civilizations that were untouched Indeed. by man for a while. Yeah. Big bottled Fraulein. Okay, Fraulein is German. Mm-hmm. Implying blonde, I think bottled, as in a bottled blonde. Oh, is Fraulein means blonde? No, Fraulein means woman. Oh, what's the la- what's the girl. blonde part? Big bottled. Oh, well, oh, German. like a bot. Germans are usually blonde. Oh, okay, okay, I gotcha. So automatically, we have a big German blonde woman <laughs> with weight. Put your weight uh, on visually. Me. Yeah. Put next to a pygmy. Right. Small, not white person. And and I think that, you know, the wordplay with pygmy, obviously there's the implication of being small, but also pig me, sort of a self-centered, sexualized piggy, piggy man. Yeah, and uh, like me me being a pig, yeah. Yeah, a me pig. And and that finishing up that sentence, desperate for more in his assault upon the mountain. <laughs> the, the, right, mountain the mountain of the Fraulein. Of the yeah. <laughs> right. Little man, his youth a fountain. Oh, that's rather descriptive, mm-hmm. isn't it? Mm-hmm. Overdraft and still counting. Little man is the fountain, and so I, I think what we have here, Nick, the theory that I want to float is that this section is all about contrasts and contrasts of a particular nature, which firmly for me put it into the world of the grotesque. Okay. The grotesque, of course, being an ancient or rather old and well-established art form of contrasts that are within the realm of reality, but contrasting things in such a way that makes you see the underlying rudeness of the world in a way. Yeah. Rudeness in the sense of, of just raw and different, not necessarily like rude, like to a person kind of thing. Right. Right. Rude in terms of basic or base or sexual. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's common by a lot of the the classic comedic writers of 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 doing these these very drastic juxtapositions to to really not give you any room to be like, mm, what does he mean here? You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we have all of the things here: testicle testing, wallet ever bulging, dressed <laughs> dressed to the left. Ooh, here's a little bit of fun phraseology for you, Nick. Do you know what dressed to the left refers to? I do not. So in the days of men's tailoring, men's trousers were, the, cr- the crotch was tailored very high. Mm. And because the, it was impolite to speak to a stranger whom you're 
making a suit for about his genitalia, apparently tailors would often say, does sir dress on the left or on the right? (laughs) So that they could accommodate the seam appropriately. Oh my goodness. I know. That that there would be a set preference. That's the thing that blows my mind the most. (laughs) Well, yeah. Mm-hmm. And then, and then it's reinforced, dressed to the left, divulging the wrinkles of his years. Reminds me of the Robin Williams joke. Yes, that's exactly what I was you, thinking. You know the one. Yep. Yep. I ah, yes, ballet. Men wearing pants so tight you can tell what religion yep. they are. <laughs> Ballets, men wearing pants so tight you can tell what religion they are. Yes. Mm. Yes, 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 yes. He is. He's. He used that joke in so many iterations. But yeah, yeah absolutely. It's a good one. That's. Good. What a lovely man that he was. So then, and then we have you know all this talk of sex, followed up by wedding bell induced fears, shedding bell end tears. In the pocket yeah. of her resistance. Oh my God. It's, mm-hmm. <laughs> wedding bell and you fears. Shedding bell and tears. In the pocket of her resistance. Do you want to explain what a bell end is? I, I actually don't know. Oh, What's bell end is, is like the end of the tip of the penis. Oh my God. Yeah. Hmm. <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs> in her pocket. And after in... <laughs> all of this, after all of this very descriptive, although somewhat, somewhat cautiously caged lyrics. Barely. It's a cage made out of like balsa wood. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's a cage made out of magnifying glasses. <laughs> he says, and my rudder slowly turns me into the Marleybone Road. And my rudder slowly turns me So it's sort of, I get the impression of walking home at the end of a long day of being a, being a flute man, walking through all of these people, just like, you know, this crowd of sexualized, drunk people spending money and catering to their own desires and survivals and him just trying to go home, <laughs> trying, yeah. trying to get back to his little his nice little cozy apartment. And when when you're tired and and you just want to go someplace quiet and 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 exist outside of the the realm of the 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 real world, stuff is going to be accentuated and caricaturized ah, and and yeah. and of course everything is is more grating and annoying and obnoxious and he's just hunching his shoulders and trudging through and bras are flying and pants are dropping and who knows what else. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Someone stuffs a a fiver down his drawers. Yeah, and he just he's like, no, no, I just want a cup of tea. Carries on. Yeah. Okay. So that's that's that section. I got that one. That one f- works for me. Yeah. Then we have the glockenspiel break. Oh yeah. Yeah, that transition. Oh, and then the strings come in at about six forty-five too. That that cello sweeps in underneath it. Yeah. Yep. (laughs) 
And that's about a minute, minute 15 that sweeps us into Crash Barrier Waltzer at about eight. Mm, this section, Nick. This song, I don't know. I don't know how familiar familiar you are with any of Bowie's work, but this has a very early Bowie sound to me before he got really electric and psychedelic. Hmm. Like his first his first self-titled album, like very kind of almost folky sounding. And that that kind I feel that with this song a little bit. Let's have a listen to one of those songs. Bing. There it is. Oh yeah, I can I can see what you mean, Nick. <laughs> That's knowing you haven't listened to it. That just sounds sounds demeaning. (laughs) Like, oh, yeah, I get it, Nick. Mm -hmm. Oh, sure. Why didn't you say anything? It is David Bowie. Smiling girls and rosy boys Come and buy my little toys Monkeys made of gingerbread And sugar horses painted red So here we get into the next section And here's Slip Eye dragging one foot in the gutter And here's Slip Eye Dragging one foot in the gutter So Nick, this section is is difficult for me to listen to closely because it, because it's so it makes me quite sad it pulls on my on my heartstrings it seems to be about our singer encountering a really down and out homeless woman old lady mm. gray mm, okay and there sits she no bed no bread no butter on a double yellow line where she can park anytime and there sits she no bed, no bread, no butter. On a double yellow line. Where she can park anytime. So, sleeping in the street. Yeah. Some only son's mother. Old Lady Grey. Crash Barry Walton. Reminds him of his own, of his very own mm. mother. Have you ever been walking down the street, Nick, and seen a homeless person and thought that that could be that could be my father, that could be my brother? Not, not in that sense. I, I was, I thought you were going with like, did, did you ever like see someone and think, oh, that's that's. That is my relation, just because they look the same. But like, oh, it's, hey, Jimmy, it's the pro, it's the what is it a proverb? There, there, but for the grace of God go I. So it would be there, but for the yeah. grace of God goes my my mother. Or, or indeed, in there's a Buddhist concept that that you should look at everyone as your mother. Mm. Because everyone says that you're not doing a good <laughs> enough job with your career. You need to eat more. No, but the, you know the idea that. If you're having trouble relating to someone, just imagine them as your mother. Yeah. Imagine approaching them with the tenderness and with the the love and compassion that you would, in a similar circumstance, give to your own mother. Yeah. So it, it reminds me of that. A Baker Street casualty. So it sounds like, you know, it's not an uncommon occurrence to see a homeless person in Baker Street. And then he sees, oh, Mr. Policeman, blue shirt ballet master. Quite funny. <laughs> Moving the old lady on. 
Baker Street casualty Oh, Mr. Policeman Bush up, belly monster Feet and sticking plaster Move the old lady on But it, it looks like he's addressing the policeman to move her on. I think he does. I think yeah, as we get later on, we hear what he's actually addressing. I think he says, oh, Mr. Policeman, and then describes the situation. Okay. And the fact that he describes it as a pas de deux, which is a, a kind of a duet dance, and as Romeo and Juliet. His, his Romeo to her Juliet, yeah. <sighs> yeah. Her sleeping draft. His poisoned regret. Strange part of this Romeo to her Juliet. Her sleeping drought. His poisoned regrets. That he he poisons himself by waking her up, perhaps? Her sleeping draft, his poisoned regret. Is it about alcohol? Is that she's drunk alcohol to put herself to sleep and the policeman, at the end of the day, drinks alcohol to to drown, oh. the re- to kill his regrets of, of having to dehumanize people? I like that too. Yeah. So then the singer offers, oh, officer, let me send her to a cheap hotel. I'll pay the bill and make her well. Like, oh, you bloody will. Oh, officer. Send her to a cheap hotel. I'll pay the villains, make her well. Like hell, you bloody will. No do good overkill. We must teach them to be still more independent. No do good overkill. We must teach them to be still more independent. Sounds like a Republican. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it reminds me of Thatcher. Well, sure, yeah. You know, or any of the politicians who say, yes, we should, we need to take away social services so that people feel inspired to work. Pick yourself up by your bootstraps. Yes, no bootstraps? I'll sell you some. (laughs) I I have a wide selection. So, yeah, any other thoughts on that section, Nick? Woof, that's... And the and the music in that lovely dark I might say lugubrious. Mm, it does lugub a mm, little. A slight a slight lugub for sure. I got a li- I got a laguber on my mm. on my finger while I was listening. I'm clean to that, that off. It'll get sticky. Yeah. Oops, got it on the mic. <laughs> and then comes my favorite musical break of the piece. Yeah. Oh yes. That guitar. It's the guitar and flute with undertones of of street sounds, streetscapes. Mm, mm-hmm, Thank you. 
which is funny to me. It makes me wonder, did he actually record the streetscape at Baker Street? Is that the real sound of Baker Street? Oh. Or did he record that in Monaco? And I mean, it's, it's just, I, I have an interesting, it interests me. It's actually, it's the sound of the Grand Prix. That's what it is. That is what the Grand Prix sounds like, yeah. <laughs> Little known fact, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That was that was in the early 70s before they had big engines. Right. Actual race cars, yeah. B. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the music in that break reminds me, and this actually would be an interesting thing to play here, of the Daphnis and Chloe Suite by Maurice Ravel. Mm, I love Ravel. I may. I feel like I may have. I feel like this is not my first time mentioning that piece of music. It doesn't sound. It doesn't sound familiar to me. It's got that kind of early morning, like the world miraculously waking up feel to it. Okay. You can almost see the fairies flitting about in the trees. It's 17 minutes long. Yeah, just like Baker Street moves. <laughs> right. Yeah. Oh, clarinet me, bassoon me. Oh, the harps. Oh my God, this is gorgeous cellos yes inside of me <laughs> oh my god <laughs> okay i should never have never <laughs> have mentioned this to you And then, Nick, it's time to get your flashlight out because this is the shadiest line in the whole song. <laughs> Was there a slight by Time magazine that it, that this is this is applying to as well, or or were they put in there for the wordplay? Just to make well for the wordplay and like a plausible deniability, you know. Oh, I don't think he cares about deniability. <laughs> but, and to clarify for everyone listening, the line is, I have no time for Time Magazine or Rolling Stone. The way he says Rolling Stone, yeah. I think. <laughs> There's no hiding. Yeah. <laughs> I have no time for Time Magazine. Well, he makes reference to a lot of, it makes reference earlier on to the magazine sellers, the newspaper sellers. Okay, yep. So maybe maybe it's, you know, in the image of walking through Baker Street, maybe it's just the, the notion of people trying to sell him stuff, and he's like, no, I don't have time for that. Especially not Rolling Stone. Right, yeah. I mean, again, it's, it's... Okay, maybe it's not plausible deniability, but it's it's maybe it's more a word play in the sense of of a poetic like, oh no, I don't have time for that. I I need to get home and go to sleep. But secretly, very very barely secretly, it's 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 yeah. Oh yeah. Screw Rolling Stone, you know. Definitely. I think there's also the joke of I have no time for Time magazine. Yeah, that's it. That's in there. That's that's very convenient. I have. No wish for wishing wells or wishing bones. I have no house in the country. I have no motor car. 
I have no wish for wishing wells or wishing I have no house in the country I have no motor car So it's sort of sort of setting himself up as a as a cipher I think as a the great zero mm. the 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 middle of the road then the neutral point yeah he has nothing. And wants nothing. And wants nothing. Wants for nothing, it yeah. It seems there's nobody left for tennis. I'm just a one-band man. I don't really know what that is. And it seems there's nobody left for tennis. And I'm a one-band man. I mean, it's interesting that he says he's a one-band man. It's interesting... He he is the only ba- he is the only man in the band, but he's but he doesn't say I'm a one man band. He says I'm a one band man. Yeah, so but he only has he only cares about one band. Exactly, there's only one band for him. Yeah, a rubber band. That, <laughs> that was yeah, that was good. <laughs> and I want no top twenty funeral. This is a hilarious juxtaposition of things. And I want no Is it more he doesn't want to be mourned when they're not on the top twenty music chart? Oh, that's great. I think that's I think that's a great way of looking at it. I was thinking in terms of he doesn't want to be in the top 20 people who died this oh, year. You know? like he doesn't oh, want fame. Sure. Okay. Or, or 100 or grand. 100 he, doesn't grand really yeah. want, he doesn't care for the fame or the money. Okay. Yeah. And then we, we get into a, the really like the distinct sound of the, old, the Mother England portion. Yeah. Which is so great. There was a little boy stood on a burning log, rubbing his hands with glee. There was a little boy stood on a burning log, rubbing his hands with glee. I don't know about the burning log, Nick. What do you reckon? Well, rubbing your hands around a fire is like to warm up your hands. Yes. And then he says later, and he said, oh, Mother England, did you light my smile or did you light this fire under me? Yeah. He said, oh, Mother England, did you light my smile? What did you light this fire under me? Maybe it's it's a, a sense of, of England trying to help, say, the homeless and and doing more harm than good. Maybe it's it's someone having tried to help themselves but really just ended them ended up in the fire as opposed to to just staying warm. I'm not I'm not entirely sure. Or is it I think those are plausible. There's also the phrase, "Oh, I'll light a fire under him." 
Oh, that lit a fire under yeah. me. Yeah. No, that inspired me. That drove me. Okay. Which, if, if that's the case, that ties in with the muse thing, being an inspiration. Yeah. He doesn't want to be known. He doesn't want to read the magazine. He doesn't want a car. He just wants to do the thing that he does. He's, he's compelled. Oh, this is him. He was inspired as a little boy. Yes. To, to play music. Somehow inspired by Mother England, I guess. Is it, is it his way of, of serving his country? Oh. Is this, a, is this a little patriotism sneaking in? One day I'll be a minstrel in the gallery and paint you a picture of the queen. <laughs> Sorry. One day I'll be a minstrel in the gallery and paint you a picture of the queen. So another another one of those mentioning a song in a a different song in a song. Love it. One day I'll meet a minstrel in the gallery and paint you a picture of the queen. That's what I'm doing for the queen. Yeah, I'm painting a picture of England. And if sometimes I sing to a cynical degree, it's just the nonsense that it seems. Don't take me seriously. I'm just singing. Wow. And if sometimes I sing to a cynical degree. It's just the nonsense that it seems. It's also sort of what Shakespeare says about the role of art is to hold a mirror up to the world. Mm -hmm. if, it, if it seems that I'm cynical, that's not me. I'm just reflecting what is around yeah. me, like, like what this song does. Yeah. He's not, he's not judging that there are drunkards and prostitutes and con men and, and people stuffing their pockets with money and and behaving badly he's just reporting it in his way right yeah it's just i'm just telling you if you're upset about it be upset about the fact that they exist don't be upset that i'm telling you don't shoot the messenger yeah don't mince the minstrel <laughs> mince, minstrel mince pie mm. don't flagellate the flutist so i drift down through the baker street valley in my steep-sided unreality so I drift down to the Baker Street Valley In my steep-sided unreality Again, being in the mind of the creative, being in the mind of one having been struck by a muse kind of thing. Yeah. Again, kind of the Don Quixote thing. Yeah, yeah, a little bit. He, he passes through blissfully unaware of actual reality and, and taxed by things that are real to him. Right. But to no one else, yeah. Which, in a way, Nick, don't, don't we all do that? I mean... Well, yeah. Isn't it our perception with, we, with which we experience rather than the actual world? Hmm. 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 I think that... Einstein would agree. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> he might. He might. He loved this song. He loved. He did. He was a. He was a big Jethro Tull fan. Little. Little known fact. Big Tull skull. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And then we just go into the wrap up of Baker Street Muse. We sure do. Anything else on this song, Omen? Anything else on on the entirety <sighs> that is Baker Street Muse? Yeah, it's. I mean, we, we can never say enough. No. One thing that I really love is the way that the music drops in 
when he sings, One day I'll be a minstrel in a gallery. And the music just, like, the guitar comes in, the drums come in. Just in terms of... I like it. <laughs> it's just the instrumentation you're saying. Yeah, and the, the energy of it. And then a little bit later on in that wrap-up section, we have this incredible thing where the drums and the bass are buddying up and doing and going... Dum, 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 yeah. Dum, dum. In the restaurants that carry my brain Newspaper warriors changing the names Just lends such hardness. Yeah. It's so cool. This is a soundtrack. The instrumentation is a soundtrack to the story that he's telling. It's not necessarily a song and the music with the song. It feels... It feels like it accentuates it more. I think that this could be an operetta. Mmm. Yeah. In four mini-acts. A 16-minute operetta. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, maybe snack breaks in between. <laughs> okay. So like 20. We'll say 20 minutes. Yeah. Yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah. There's also this. There's also an interesting thing that I want to point out here, Nick, that we didn't quite cover. There are... Flashes of it in other places, but he here at the end, talking to the gutter stinking, winking in the same old way, I tried to catch my eye, but I looked the other way. Talking to the gutter stinking, winking in the same old way, I tried to catch my eye, but I looked the other way. It's almost as if he's walked this area so many times that he sees himself out walking there and tries to catch his own, his own attention, but he's too wrapped up in his own thoughts to notice himself. Nick, are you, are you still there? I am. I, <laughs> oh my God. I tried to follow the track there. <laughs> I took that talking. I tried to catch my eye. Like he, he sees his reflection and sees that it's him. And then he looks the other way. And then he looks he the other way. Yeah. Side of himself. He's, he's disgusted. His, his, his brain has been curried by Indian restaurants. Yeah. He, he's, he, well, he should try walking in the sidewalk instead of the in the gutter. stinking gutter. Yeah, yeah. You know, the, all the gutter references reminds me of a Irish playwright, gay Oscar Wilde phrase. You know the one about a gutter? No, we are all lying in the gutter, but some of us are looking towards the stars. Oh, that's Oscar Wilde. A little less depressing than I expected for Oscar Wilde, but. Yeah, that's nice. Yeah. <laughs> a little less, little less depressing than I would expect from a gutter. <laughs> There's a positivity there. I like it. Nick, I think that we could do an entire podcast just on this song. I, th I think, I think I would need a a whole month of research before I even touch this. So tune in in a month to our <laughs> new podcast, Bark Baker Street to Me. Where Nick and I will word by word dissect this song for the next ten years. One word, one week. <laughs> one one word, one week. Baker Street Confused, I think, is is the the name of this the podcast. Baker Street Confused, yeah. yes, indeed. <laughs> I'm calling it. That's it for Baker Street Muse. <laughs> Thank you.
All right, Nick, what do we have the pleasure of talking tall in circles about oh, next my week? Goodness. Oh, my goodness. Omen. What is it, Nick? What? Omen. What? Next week? Do you know what next week is, Omen? Is it my birthday? No, it's not. That's in March. What is it's it? It's our 100th episode. <gasps> oh, my gosh. Who let us go on this long? Uh, no one. No one has kept us in check. Everybody thought everyone else was going to stop us, and it, it just they just let it go. <laughs> That's the problem with modern society. We are doing, because it is three days before Christmas, or it is the, the winter solstice, if you, uh, if oh, you okay. prefer, as that is, that is my holiday of choice. Sure. We are doing birthday card at Christmas. <gasps> ah! So not from this album. Not from this We're album. A break. Yep. We're just stepping away from Baker Street for a moment. We are doing the first track off of the Christmas album. Oh, Nick. What a treat. What a delightful treat that is. Will you be dressed up? I will be wearing something Santa-themed. Okay. And I'll have holly in my hair. I'll have tinsel in my teeth. Mm-hmm. And I'll have ornaments on my armpits. I'm I'm building a, an entire 1920s style swimsuit out of mistletoe. <laughs> oh, like that onesie. Yeah, exactly. With the <laughs> out stripes. of mistletoe. Mm-hmm. Okay, full full body stocking mistletoe. Yeah, that'll be prickly. Yeah, then I'm, I'm going to hang around in doorways. Look out! Mm. <laughs> Just look up and see you perched up there, like pushing against the sides, holding yourself up. <laughs> Terrifying. <laughs> well, until next week. Please be our Baker Street muse. Mm. Give us something to to perform for. Give us ideas. Give us inspiration in the form of five stars. Indeed, Nick. If you are feeling in the gutter, you can look toward the stars. Five stars, actually, <laughs> which you can send to our iTunes, our iTunes account, or just write to us. Yeah, we are we your muse. Yeah. Are we amusing? Are we? No. No. Oh, no. one one final thing about the the Nick. the. I can't get out. I can't get out. We forgot about to, to oh, talk about that. Yeah. So a quote yeah. from Ian when asked if there's any profundity there was what did he mean by not being able to get out? A lot like Jean Charles. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whatever said Above Rolling Stone said you can't get out of the album, you can't get out of the band, whatever. His response is, it did seem to have some implication. The embarrassing thing is, I did more than one take of it. <gasps> of course he did. <laughs> he, that, he's got to be perfect. <laughs> I can just imagine him talking with the studio manager being like, I will leave seven times today. Please lock the door one of those times. <laughs> no, you didn't do it right. You didn't do it. Lock it again. Lock it again. I am Nick well, McGill. I am Omen Said. I'm exhausted. And <laughs> we are feckless momes. And this has been and will continue to be Talk Tall to Me. Oof, all right, Nick. That was that was pretty good. My goodness, that was a long one. I need to go eat supper and put yeah. Rook to bed like right now. All right, I'll talk to you later. Love you. All right, love you too. Bye. Bye. <laughs>
me as a proud member of the Feckless Moms Audio Network. <laughs>